This talk is one that I'll just preface and say I, I um, think it's just a look up for you, so I'm going to go through it quickly. Uh, you could, there's no way you're going to remember it, and there's very, it's very unlikely that you'll get many of the answers correct. So um, we're going to talk about people that have been pretreated, especially with NS5A uh, drugs. So what's the initial therapy when you have DA, et cetera? Answer, look it up. Um, so this is a case of a 69-year-old guy who's co-infected with HIV. HIV is well suppressed. He's on a rolpivirine-based regimen. Platelet count is a little low. Um, he's got cirrhosis, not so much by ultrasound, because you don't diagnose cirrhosis by ultrasound, but he appears to have cirrhosis. But he, let's say he has cirrhosis, and he's got no varices. His albumin's 3.6. Creatinine's normal. Ignore the HLA B28 B, <clears throat> and he's genotype 1A, so cirrhosis 1A, um, uh, well suppressed. He had been treated for 12 weeks with lead soft, and week four he's a target, but not quanti quantifiable. That's good, so it'll continue to go down in most cases. Um, he took most of his HIV uh, medicines. But four weeks post-treatment, he's got detectable HCV RNA. And he tells you he was taking Tums, et cetera, whatever. All right, so here's the, here's the story of, of what are the drug-drug interactions. So he's on um, soft lead, which are here, and then he's on a rolpivirine dose, which should be okay, right? So that's one way to look at this. So it doesn't appear to be a problem. So he's got... He's got failure, failure to a soft lead uh, regimen. So just make a guess, that's all it's going to be, of what kind of testing you might do before you treat him next. King of the Hill. King of the Hill. Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Let's see what we got. Okay, uh, well, let's talk about this. Um, yeah, you could do that. Is it going to make a difference? Answer, probably not. So the reason is that, let's say you had this Q30R that you're not going to memorize, but it does exist. It would give you resistance to Ducladosphere, Ledipasphere, which is what he had, on Bidosphere and Elbosphere, but it won't necessarily give you resistance to some of the other newer drugs, right? And the I37V will give you some resistance to the um, protease. Now, he never got a protease. How'd that happen? Well, it just can't. And that's one of the reasons for situations where you have uh, 1A disease and 1A infection and uh, somebody who's got, uh, you're going to treat with uh, Elbosphere, uh, where you might need to, uh, Elbosphere, uh, e.g. Grisepavir, then you might need to check ahead of time, but only for 1A. You get rules get complicated, which is why I advocate looking it up. So was the testing helpful? Well, that didn't necessarily help because of reasons I'll go into in a second, but there's a lot of subtleties to resistance-associated substitutions and that sometimes there's some fitness things, just like with HIV. As I mentioned, you could have them at baseline in the absence of drug exposure. Uh, they may impact treatment responses, but only in select situations, and how are you going to remember that? You probably aren't, so you're going to want to look it up. The resistance is not futile, uh, so it may be overcome by the longer durations or addition of rabavirin or some of these, as I mentioned, later generation agents. Um, 
and, uh, and the newly approved regimens, uh, the detections of resistance-associated mutations or substitutions often isn't necessary, which was kind of the story here. A traditional approach is population sequencing, just like we use. We don't really dig real deep into the single genome sequencing like we do sometimes with HIV. Uh, and the 10% threshold is roughly, 10 to 15% threshold is roughly where we are. Um, and these are details. I think um, the barrier to resistance uh, we've talked about already, uh, but, but some drugs uh, have very low barriers, meaning if you treat um, uh, with even just a short period of time and with insufficient levels of drug, you're going to be a high likelihood of developing resistance, so that would be a low barrier of resistance. And like I said before, sofosfavir has a very high barrier to resistance, meaning it's rare that you ever would see the, the elimination or the emergence of such things. This is a nice uh, graphic, uh, and you can see that as we get into the, out of the first generation, I'll call it, of um, NS5A drugs, the next generation really do work um, in terms of against resistance mutations. So here's a Q30R, and you see that Provindosphere actually looks pretty good, and as does Velpatosphere. So why do you want to test necessarily when you have drugs that are pretty active? Now, you could argue here that maybe if there's a Y93H or a Y93N that you might, but then again, you can come down here and see, hmm, probably doesn't matter. These are some data that I'll go through quickly looking at GP. Um, and looking at 12 weeks versus 16 weeks, depending on whether you had mutations to NS5A or NS3, remember that this has protease and NS5A drugs. Um, I think the take-home point is that 12 weeks really isn't enough in the setting of resistance, so you're going to want to use 16 weeks in general. I'm going to get to a conclusion here in a minute. As opposed to sort of soft Velvox, it really works pretty well. Um, and, and 12 weeks of therapy is usually sufficient. Uh, when you have somebody with cirrhosis, um, you're going to want to alter therapy just a titch. And I'll talk about that on the money slide here in a second. I'm going to skip that. This is what I'm talking about. So what you would do, and I can dem we can demonstrate this for you at the uh, time we go. I have a patient with, because I think that's really important that you feel comfortable using the website. But so what you would do is you go to Treatment experience populations, right? You would put in NS5A experience, genotype 1, with or without cirrhosis. That's your category. And this pops up. That's all you need. So you can see that your recommended regimen is soft Vox. Why? Because that Polaris study that I just showed you showed that regimen worked really well with 12 weeks. There you are. And if you have... Um, if you can't use that for some reason, that the GP regimen can actually work pretty well, but you've got to use, based on Magellan, 16 weeks. Do you need to remember Polaris or Magellan? No. All you need to remember is how to get to this table, and then you're good to go. And underneath this table is all the data that I just talked about that will be there for you. So that's the take-home point. We'll go to another case just to show it the same way. Remember what we said about genotype 3, that's the toughest to treat. And it's also ex extra tough when you've got DAA failure coming into it. So she's HIV positive on uh, uh, 
Albutegravir, Kobe, so right away, red flag, Kobe, right? Uh, TAF and, F and, and FTC, hydrochlorothiazide, et cetera. HCV, uh, two logs, uh, sorry, 6.2 logs, et cetera, et cetera. Fibrosure is 0 0.8, okay? Remember that, that's high. That means cirrhosis. So now we've got, an elastography confirms that. So we've got cirrhosis um, and uh, co-infection and has failed an NS5A inhibitor with sofosfavir, which was the cladosphere. So this is kind of a bad case scenario with genotype 3. So what are you going to do? You're going to either test for resistance, use softvelvox for 12, softvelvox with riba for 12, GP for 16, and this looks like probably Greek to you, but just throw out a number and we'll move on. Because you know where we're going to go, right? We're going to go to the website. But before you look at the website, we'll take a guess. And we'll listen to some music. Okay. All right. Well, we got actually majority got the right answer. Yay. So what you do, you go to the website, you type in treatment experienced, right? You go to genotype 3, NS5A, and you see that if they are um, not cirrhotic, you do soft LVOX, and if they are cirrhotic, after NS5A failure, you do soft LVOX with riba for 12 weeks. Ribavirin, let's talk about it quickly because we don't use it very much anymore. It's, all, it's almost in the same casket parade with interferon, but it's a bad drug to work with, um, relatively speaking. It causes instant anemia through hemolysis. So you need to see these folks back, I would recommend, especially if they have cirrhosis, within two weeks of starting a ribavirin regimen check their hemoglobin, see how they're doing. Do not be afraid to dose reduce. If when you use full dose ribavirin, it's rare that it, you're going to be able to stay on that because it makes them sick. But lower dose ribavirin actually works okay. So just try not to stop it completely, just dose reduce it. And there are some patients who might only be on 200 milligrams, which is kind of low. But having some on board because it's metabolized differently when there's cirrhosis, et cetera, that is, that's okay. So what's the next step before you start your treatment? Soft Velvox Riba on Elvitegravir, Kobe, TAF, FTC. And you know where we're going with this. I'm going to, oh, we didn't vote. Let's see if we can get 100% now that I set it up that way. I'm more interested in the music, actually. A song from a Gatorade commercial. Yep. I want to be like Mike. Yeah, sure. Is that it? <laughs> I want to be like Mike. Okay, let's see what we got. Yes. Okay. So what you who are you gonna call, right? Ghostbusters. And so you got LB, I mean Elvitegravir, Kobe, Taf, FTC, uh, et cetera. So there is I guess the question is, um, how much does this drug-drug interaction uh, really constrain us? 
And Jen, I don't know, would you say that this is a major problem or is this, this is not the major problem? Probably be okay. Given the, the exposures are still 90% of what they'd be with TDF, you're probably yeah. okay. I mean, you do have this increase in the Vox trough, and that could be problematic. Maybe you want to monitor LFTs, but yeah. you know, what do others so, think? You think you, you could do that? So that's not, that's not the issue, but... Uh, no, we'll skip that. But the issue, so if we look at... Um, soft bell box on the right side of the Kaiser gram, and then we look down for Kobe, you're going to have elevated um, box and um, box levels because you're on Kobe. And it's a kind of in a yellow group. So, I mean, I personally would change this. I don't know if you would. Oh, so, all right. So there's no data. Um, but I don't like the notion of using, personally, a... Um, the, the PI for HCV when you have a boosting agent, if you have another choice, just as a thought. Yeah, that's where I would go with it. it switch to some sort of, like either, either um, raltegravir is probably the cleanest, um, and then dolutegravir and bictegravir, again, not much data, but they're a little bit better in terms of CYP3A4, a little bit, and they're mostly glucuronidated. But raltegravir across the board is going to be the safest. So if you want to learn more about resistance, and just for your own edification, on the website, which I feel like I own the website because I'm or I get paid every time somebody goes there, I don't. Um, there's a whole uh, pr a primer uh, on resistance that you can just read. It's not that long, um, and it's really quite good. So in that section, again, you don't have to read the whole thing. You're welcome to, but this is kind of the, the major points, and they tell you for each of these drugs what the issues might be and whether uh, a regimen's, where you should use RAS testing. So this is should you use RAS testing, and they say yes, 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 but only in these circumstances. And there's no way that I would even attempt to memorize this unless you're uh, kind of on the spectrum and kind of on that end of the thing. And this is where you would not test for resistance, and there's a lot of these, right? Um, and so, again, you can just go look it up. Um, not sure what this is in there for. Oh right, right. So this is rehashing. Sorry, this are these are actually Arthur's slides that I probably butchered his whole talk and simplifying things. Um, so, panacea carcinoma. We talked about this. Uh, whether you need to continue, whether it's cost effective to continue screening, and so far it seems to be cost effective. I think in the interest of time, I'll skip these. Um, so the principles is that you can have changes in fitness, which may or may not be clinically relevant, that RASs at baseline may um, affect certain drugs, but um, oftentimes uh, you don't need to know because it works anyway. Um, 
and then resistance is not futile, as we said. And then for newly approved drug regimens, RAS is most often knowing what the resistance mutation is not often that necessary. Um, and regarding the cases, uh, know what the prior DAA failure regimen is. That's the most important thing. So that post-test question that you had pre-test, now you can get that absolutely right because that's the right answer. The most important thing when somebody's previously been treated of what to do is know what their prior treatment was. Robivirin free regimens are mostly available now. Um, and survey, so where might robivirin typically, probably the only place it comes in now is in the case of cirrhosis. Somewhat with the break we were talking about, well, what do I do with the cases that are really advanced cirrhosis? Those are patients you should refer to a hepatologist. Anybody who's got child, anything child B or higher, meaning they're symptomatic, they got ascites, they've got encephalopathy, they've got obvious spiders and hemorrhoids and caput medusa and all that stuff. If you look at them clinically and say, this person's got liver disease and they're sick, send them on. If you can't get an appointment quickly, there's a debate about whether you should treat them right away or not. Um, I would wait and talk with the hepatologist because sometimes you can, they can get a liver from a hepatitis C donor that you don't want to necessarily clear them out and take them off list. Is that true in Massachusetts and Colorado or y'all? Yeah, and I think that's a discussion with the hepatologist, whether you're just sort of going off. But for non, oh, I'll say it, for compensated liver disease, which means they got cirrhosis by the scan, but there's no evidence of really portal hypertension and they look pretty well. Uh, then those are people you can go ahead and treat, and they get better, and um, it's pretty straightforward. 